Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. On today's episode, I have got the co-founder and CEO, Dr. Anas Nadir on the podcast. Patchwork Health are a three times HSJ award winners. The HSJ awards are like the Oscars of the healthcare sector. So these guys clearly know their stuff and are doing truly amazing things. Patchwork Health are a technology company transforming flexible working in healthcare. And when I asked them what is making them so successful, Anna's talked about co-design, co-production, co-delivery and creating true partnership. A big chunk of this interview is where we are talking about what happens when there isn't true partnership and actually you may not be the right fit for the client and you say no to an opportunity. We have all been there, whether you run a business or whether you're an employee something has come up and you think actually I could try to make it work but I think in the long run this isn't going to be a good fit and I think how he articulated it was just so powerful so interesting so insightful so I really really hope that you enjoy this episode to me this episode it's like they're not overt business lessons but it is like a leadership masterclass I absolutely loved it really enjoyed it and it's also helped me personally too so I hope you enjoy it leave us a rating and review on iTunes. I'd absolutely love that. And I will see you in the next episode. Hi, Annas. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Tara. Nice to uh, join you today. So when I came across your profile, I was I was really, really, really impressed. It's yeah, it's you've got a big operation um, going at Patchwork Health. But before we get into that, could you just give our listeners a bit of an introduction to yourself, your background and what is it that you actually do today? Great. Um, so I am um, I've had a very um, unusual and unorthodox career. Uh, prior to founding uh, Patchwork Health, I um, I started my career back in Toronto, Canada, where I had been trained as a biomedical communication specialist, uh, which is a fancy way to say that I was trained to build digital products for healthcare. And I worked in that space for a few years before deciding to train as a doctor myself, uh, because most of my work was with patients and clinicians. Um, and I was really intrigued by, by, by the profession. Um, and it was something that I always thought I might be exploring at some point uh, when I was much younger. Um, but then I decided to make that choice in my mid-20s. Um, and at that point, I, I moved to London, the UK, because I got accepted to Imperial College Medical School. So I trained as a doctor here in London at Imperial, graduated in their graduate entry program, and started working in the NHS um, as a junior doctor. Um, and a few years into that role, I had the opportunity to join Chelsea and Westminster as an innovation fellow, um, as a clinical innovation fellow. And that role really was designed for a few clinicians to join the hospital's transformation team to try and explore how um, certain services can be uh, transformed and improved um, and, 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 and efficiencies can be delivered. And one of the projects I was assigned to 
was looking at uh, the hospital's medical temporary staffing spend, medical agency spend, and how can that be reduced by leveraging the medical bank um, or building a really a medical bank and, 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 and scaling it. Quite quickly in that project, I realized that there was a gap in, in the technology space to deliver this at scale. So I kind of put my hat again, uh, my, my innovation hat uh, my, and my digital uh, product development hat and um, reached out to my co-founder, Jing, who is a colleague of mine who trained at medical school together back at Imperial and um, discussed the idea with him. And quite quickly, we realized that this is something we could build. Um, I reached out to the trust itself and um, invited them to be kind of innovators with us, innovation partners with us to co-design, co-produce and co-create the product together um, to ensure that we're building something that is delivering the value uh, from day one, but also um, takes into account all the different requirements for um, temporary staffing and flexible working in the NHS, both from the employer and the worker's point of view. And that kind of started me on my journey with, with Patchwork Health, um, and that was back in 2016. Um, 2017 is when we launched it uh, as, a, as an initial pilot. Um, and since then, we've been scaling across the NHS, uh, working with many new partners um, in, in all over the country. And what's your role? So I am the CEO of Patchwork Health um, and one of the two co-founders, um, which is, which is uh, uh, kind of a, an ever-evolving role. Um, almost every, it feels like every year my job description changes. Um, year zero, um, as, as most entrepreneurs will tell you, jack of all trades, doing pretty much everything from product design to, 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 to fundraising, to uh, implementation, project management, customer uh, uh, relations, uh, customer support, pretty much everything. Um, year two, year one and year two were mostly around building a team um, that can take on the product development as well as um, look after uh, um, all aspects of the implementation um, and the operations as well as customer support. Um, and more recently, year three and year four feels like it's more about scaling the business, scaling the operations, um, iterating on the product, ensuring that it's fit for purpose for many more verticals across the healthcare economy. Um, and it's been, it's been an exciting uh, journey to go through that evolution. But also at times it was, um, it had its challenges. So can you just, can you just clarify? So what problem does Patchwork Health solve? So really Patchwork Health is, is the core mission is to really transform how flexible working um, operates in healthcare. And it looks at the problem from both sides of the equation, from the employer's uh, point of view, as well as the worker. From the employer's point of view, fundamentally, it's about building a uh, internal pool of flexible workers who are available, who are compliant and available to book vacant shifts um, uh, efficiently. Uh, fundamentally, improving staffing levels, uh, ensuring their safe uh, staffing levels, as well as reducing the cost um, and reliance on expensive recruitment locum agencies. And, and to do so at scale, because many NHS trusts have thousands of shifts a month that remain vacant that require either a bank or an agency worker to book into that. So it's about enabling the employer to do so at scale and efficiently. 
from the worker's point of view, it kind of addresses um, a trend that many um, doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals um, have been seeking, which is more flexibility in how they engage with their employers. It's about giving, giving them back a little bit of control um, in choosing their hours and working um, around their schedules um, for a variety of reasons, uh, whether it is because they um, have a, uh, a, 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 you know, they want to lead a portfolio career where they've got quite a lot of different interests and passions they'd like to pursue in addition to being a clinician in the NHS or in healthcare. Um, or sometimes it's purely lifestyle reasons where we have young parents, uh, moms and dads looking after the young kids, um, uh, wanting to select their hours or, 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 or doctors and nurses who are looking after their elderly parents and cannot work at certain hours. So it's, it ends up becoming more of a, you know, working around their availability given their other commitments. And I think for the most part, historically, um, con you know, contracts with healthcare employers tend to be very rigid in their, in their structure. The rotas are very um, inflexible and often meant that workers can reach a point where they're facing a very difficult decision um, to either sacrifice personal um, uh, personal passions or, or, or family and, and social commitments or give up, give up their, 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 their passion in healthcare and, and give up their uh, uh, regular work in their hospital or GP clinic or, or, or any other type of healthcare employer. And we wanted to offer these, this kind of uh, group of, of healthcare workers more options and more flexibility and really making it much easier for them to lead a flexible career whilst remaining active clinicians without relying on um, recruitment agencies, which, which tends to be the traditional route to, to do so. So really, Patchwork Health wanted to address that challenge for the employer, which is a complex logistical recruitment retention and a financial challenge. And from the employee point of view or the worker's point of view, really giving them a delightful user experience to be able to manage their flexible careers and lead a portfolio career. Um, and that's what we went ahead and built. Do you have IR35 implications? No, because our flexible workers are directly employed with the, with the trust. So they are on the trust's payroll, they're PAYE workers. So we, we, we use the bank as uh, the NHS bank, which is a HR function, internal HR function, as the vehicle for accessing flexible working opportunities. Um, so luckily, we managed to bypass the entire IR35 challenge. So in quite a short space of time, you have built up a very impressive list of accolades. Um, you've got three HSJ partnership awards. And to me, and I, I'm sure other people think this, but to me, a HS, I want a HSJ award. To me, that's like the best of the best. I honestly believe that I went to, um, I went to one of their awards um, ceremonies this year. It was amazing. It was amazing. But you've got three of them. You've been featured in Forbes, the Financial Times, Business Insider, the Times and the Independent, just to name a few. I suppose what makes a repeatedly award-winning service? So, um, it's a very good question because I think, I think um, many entrepreneurs and innovators, um, often, often want to be the best and want to be able to deliver the best value to their, to their customers and their partners. And I think um, one of the things that we identified quite early on as a recipe for success is truly working in partnership with the end user. Um, 
you've just named the three HSGA partnership awards and and then the key word here is partnership Mm -hmm. because that category of awards focuses on um, businesses and innovators who manage to build real meaningful relationships and partnerships with the wider healthcare economy to deliver um, their services and, 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 and add value. And I think our birth story as a business born out of a partnership with an NHS trust where the product was built in collaboration with some end users, as well as our continued culture of partnership with every single trust we work with, where we, we've broken that, 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 that silo of uh, a vendor and a buyer uh, relationship into a true partnership where throughout the journey of our um, relationship with any NHS trust or any other healthcare employer, we're, we're working in partnerships. We become their advisors, their, their colleagues, part of their team um, with shared KPIs and shared um, um, goals that, that transform that relationship um, between, between the supplier and the, and the customer. And I think that was one of the key um, differentiators of, of Patrick Health um, to many, many out in the market. I think the second one, which, which, is, which is probably something that the NHS particularly, but public sector in general has been starved of, which is really good customer service, obsessing over the customer and their, and their, and their, and their um, satisfaction over your service. And that's not just the product itself, not just the technology piece, but the service wraparound that comes with it, whether it's the implementation services, the advisory services, the customer support and customer success services that go way beyond go live and throughout the, the lifetime of the relationship. Um, that obsessiveness over customer uh, satisfaction, customer service is, is something that I think public sector um, and particularly the NHS has probably hasn't experienced uh, uh, as, as, as much as they would have loved to. And so I think, I think, um, and we're seeing that trend changing. We're seeing a lot younger businesses now putting a lot more emphasis on that, uh, establishing these long-term relationships. And I think these are the two main factors that um, probably uh, were the reasons why we might have won some of these awards. Um, because as much as I'm proud of the technology we've built and the product we've built, and we've packed it with some nuanced features that, that truly um, transform how um, our, our, our clients uh, engage with flexible workers. I fundamentally believe that, you know, at the end of the day, technology is an enabler of change. It is not the cause of change itself. And as long as um, uh, the technology is not just parachuted in um, and then the supplier walks away, um, which is kind of some of the historic experiences the NHS had, as long as, 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 as a supplier is able to build that long-term relationship and ensure that they can work with the customer and the partner throughout that change management journey, um, the value will, not, will never be delivered to the maximum potential. So I think, I think you know, from, my, from my point of view, these are probably the reasons why we, why we had the success that we did. At the beginning of this interview, you said co-design, co-produce and co-deliver, which I really, really like. Um, and you talk about you know, having a culture of partnership. Have you ever had an incident where you and your client may not be on the same page? Um, oh, absolutely. Um, and these these happen happen um, frequently in a in a very healthy in a healthy kind of partnership engagement and relationship. Um, where you know, often when we come in to any new um, partnership with any new NHS trust, we establish with them a steering group. 
that guides the journey of the implementation, but also ensures regular review of, of KPIs and outcomes to ensure that the system and the processes are delivering the value that we all collectively agree to. And often in these steering group meetings, we find that not just um, ourselves as Patrick Health and, and, and the stakeholders from the trust, but even stakeholders from within the trust might not necessarily be always on the same page of what is the right next step or what are the right configurations and the right rules that need to be set up or or the correct processes. And, and often that um, can cause a little bit of a um, debate um, and disagreements, but it's actually in these disagreements that we find the best outcomes that come out of that. Because, um, you know, for, for people who know me, I'm, 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 a, I'm always a big fan of a Sharpie and a, and a big white board, um, where we always try and map out everyone's views and, and, and map out everyone's pain points in the early discovery period. So the beginning of every implementation, we have a, um, a discovery phase where that phase is really about listening to every single stakeholder's point of view, understanding where they're coming from, not just their point of disagreement, but why they have that point of view and what made them reach that conclusion and really hold the mirror to everyone. Because often it's in these conversations and these uh, healthy debates where uh, the most interesting pearls of wisdom that can come out for us and for the employer. And that tends to iron out most of the issues early on and, and resolve most of the, most of the conflicts. Um, but again, the key here is iteration and regular reviews. Because what might have worked in 2017 might not be the case for 2019 or 2021. So assuming that the solution that we've built and installed and implemented a few years back, that that would carry on working as it is for years to come, is, is probably naive. And I think together us and our NHS partners have you know, fully agreed that this you know, true change and, and long-lasting sustainable change requires iterative reviews and iterative changes. Sometimes the changes are technical to the product itself. Other times it is to the processes and the way the technology is being used. And I think to avoid siloed working where, where conflicts get, you know, where, where, where a lot of conflict brews in, in, in siloed thinking and siloed working is that regular reviews and the regular collaboration um, that ensures any of those conflicts or debates or disagreements can be resolved um, uh, constructively. Have you ever been in an incidence where the fit isn't right and you've just said, actually, I don't think that we're going to be the best solution for you? Or can you always work it through? Um, it has not yet happened in the NHS. It has happened in other um, uh, adjacent markets where we've, we've either you know, uh, had a certain kind of client reaching out to us, exploring whether um, Patrick Health was the right solution for them. Uh, so a different type of healthcare employer. So whilst we work with non-NHS clients, uh, there were incidents where a certain type of healthcare employer was um, keen to explore using our solution for their workforce. And after that discovery period, we have reached the conclusion that we're probably not the right solution for them. Um, and obviously, as a scale-up that is hungry for um, as many success stories as possible, yeah. as many relationships as possible, it's probably one of the hardest things ever to say no. You get, you know, you always try yeah. to find the, the reason to say yes, um, and and the way to make it work. And it takes it takes a certain level of um, uh, confidence and pragmatic approach to appreciate that whilst 
we might be able to convince ourselves and the client that we can get this over the line and get the contract signed. If we're thinking about this as a long-term relationship, if we value our long-term um, long relationship with our clients, then getting into the wrong relationship is, is more detrimental to us and to them than trying to make it work in the short term and, and try and brush, it, brush under the carpet the issues that will probably cause the, the venture to, to fail in the long term. So, so we've had to go through some of these experiences and as, as hard as it was, um, reflecting back on it, it was, it was more often than not, it was the right choice. I ask questions like this because the, the, the one of the purposes of the podcast is to share what goes on behind the scenes. So you can come on and say, we've won these awards. We, we're amazing. We've done all of this stuff. But anybody that is in a leadership position that has run a business for all of those successes, they're not necessarily failures, but there's lots of lessons learned. And sometimes those lessons are quite painful. So I think it's, it's really helpful when people share actually, yeah, we have had to say no or walk away. And when you say that was really hard, can you describe what, what was hard about it? How did it make you feel? It, it was hard because it was, we were at an earlier stage. And at that point, we were on a journey to validate um, our existence, to validate that we can deliver value and that we can grow our client base to ourselves, to our board, to our investors. And, and it, it was extremely tempting as a young company to say yes to ensure our survival, or at least that's how we perceived it. Um, that, that often puts a, an entrepreneur or a leader in a very challenging position where you're trying to go against what is probably the temptation and the easy, the easy answer to, to try and think long-term. I think as, as generally speaking, I mean, kind of our, uh, it's, it's part of our existential challenge as human beings is to be long-term thinkers. Um, and I think often, often um, trying to take a step back and, and think 5,000 feet above, above, above where you are right now to look through the horizon where you're trying to go uh, and appreciating what is a red herring and what's a distraction from your core mission and your core, um, core uh, values um, and, and not be distracted by, by um, the wrong opportunity is probably one of the most important skills an entrepreneur and a leader needs to develop. And I think, and I think it's, it's counterintuitive at times, but I think with the right mentors and the right support and, you know, the healthy debates me and my co-founders had and long long you know conversation to the middle of the night often results in in have helped help me personally and help my team uh, make some of these hard decisions and i think it's one of those things that when you make that choice you probably wouldn't feel the impact of it right away or the positive impact of it right away until yeah. many years to come so it, it takes it takes a bit of confidence and courage to do that but i think um building that skill of being able to say no to the wrong opportunity um, because it's the danger of being successful at the wrong opportunity is taking away from the right opportunity and the right focus um, because we all have a finite amount of attention, a finite amount of resources and making, making, putting that in the wrong project um, is, is, is probably a lot more detrimental than the value, whether it's commercial or other, that can come out of that short-term project. I think. Do you think we have to? Do we all have to learn the hard way when these situations happen? Do you think now, having been through it, 
the next client, you are more easier to understand quick, more quickly whether they are going to be a right fit for you. Absolutely. I think after a few yeses and nos and a few successful experiments and a few not so successful experiments, yeah. um, you develop that kind of muscle um, yeah. in your thinking of very early on identifying the opportunities that are right for you versus the ones that are not. So it certainly gets easier with time. The key thing though, and this is kind of um, another thing to keep in mind, is not to build assumptions um, that could hinder you in the long term. So that client might have been the wrong client for us in 2017. It doesn't mean that you would not evolve by 2020 to become the right business for that client. So it's also important, the lessons we've learned to be also... Or, or the wisdoms we've, we've collected over the years, not to become gospel because things yeah. do change and, and circumstances change and the business change and the market changes and opportunities change. So it's, almost, it's always important to question everything, question all your assumptions, question all what you think you take for granted. So even when certain lessons that have been learned and has shaped my decision-making over the years the next opportunity where I have to use that wisdom to make a decision again, I still need to check myself and still need to question the logic behind a decision before committing to it. So, so that's, I think, another important thing to keep in mind and, and not, not to kind of get too entrenched in, in specific views because of historic um, historic experiences. I think if I was listening to this and it wasn't my own podcast, I would rewind that bit I think it's really, really important. The lesson that you learnt in a particular situation, you don't have to hang on to that forever. Like things change, you change, the context changes, and that you can learn the lesson. But I think that is I think that's so key. And I think we do that. We think we've been burnt, we're not gonna do that. We're going to stay away from that because once or twice or three times this happened and it didn't feel very nice. But I think, yeah, to constantly check your assumptions, to check the lessons learned because the situation changes. The person, we always change it. We're never the same. Exactly. And, and, and not doing that could mean missing out on that one opportunity that could have been transformative for you as an individual or for the business. That also requires, we all have an ego and ego is I. That requires us to let go of the ego that says you've hurt me or you said this or you, you weren't transparent. It's, that's really difficult. Oh, absolutely. It really is. And I think, I think it's, it's, it's often, um, it's often about understanding that the, the circumstances often reflect the, the other parties own challenges rather than any universal truth. There are very few universal truths out there when it comes to human behavior or organizational behavior between organizations. Competitors turn to partners overnight and partners become competitors overnight as well. Yeah. Um, and, and it's fascinating seeing, having been in this, in, this, in this space for a while now, seeing how dramatically relationships change when circumstances change which often reflects that the relationship was never incompatible to start with. It was just the circumstances and the context that, that surrounded the relationship at a certain point in time made it incompatible. 
And when that context and these circumstances changed, that compatibility would change as well. And, and, and ensuring that you're checking in once in a while with yourself and with your assumptions that you've made two months or two years ago is probably the best advice I can give to ensure that you're not missing out on a, a fantastic opportunity and a relationship and a partnership that could have been the right time, the right place. And often, you know, startups or established businesses, you know, there's a long held wisdom that timing is everything. Timing is everything you do. Timing of when you bring your product to the market, timing of when you engage with a certain supplier or engage with a certain partner or engage with certain clients. Um, timing makes a big difference. And I think, you know, looking at, 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 at what, you know, the pandemic, COVID-19 has done to the, to the world, um, you know, many, many businesses were there at the right place at the right time um, and, and timing worked in their favor. Others, unfortunately, got unlucky with timing where they could have been um, a fantastic product and a solution, yet the timing that they have brought the solution and the product to the market was during a financial crisis and a pandemic and a global health crisis that meant that they were, um, they couldn't, they couldn't launch uh, successfully. Does it mean that they wouldn't be able to launch successfully had they launched in 2019 or maybe 2021? Um, and I think keeping that in mind, keeping that kind of appreciating that uh, uh, humans are very, um, not really good at thinking about timelines. One, one, one great example I do often share with my, with my team and my, my friends, and I love this anecdote, is um, we often think about history as a compacted small piece, you know, a dense timeline. When in fact, if we think about Cleopatra walking down um, the Nile in, uh, during her time, if she looked up to the, um, to the pyramids, the pyramids are as old to her as Cleopatra is old to us. So the pyramids are historic, ancient artifacts for Cleopatra, as much as Cleopatra is a historic story for us because the pyramids are 5,000 years old and Cleopatra existed 2,500 years ago. And it just goes to show that humans often don't think about history that way. And we don't think about our own history that way, our own future that way. We're very, uh, we, our views of timelines are quite skewed that way. So I think it's about being that patient and also about being able to identify the right timing for the right opportunity and ensuring that as the context of things change, that your assumptions change too. I think you have got a lovely objectivity about yourself and the situation. So you're not saying I, me. It's like you can look at the situation. It's the situation rather than all about you. And I think when, and we, we do, we do both because we're, it's natural. But I think the more we can, or what I'm taking from this conversation is that when you look at the situation, when you think about the timing and the timing is not just in this moment, think of the, it's a stretch of time and opportunity. There's a little bit of luck. There's a little bit of strategic planning. If you look at the situation, if it doesn't work out, yeah, it hurts. It's a bit of annoying, especially if you've invested a lot of time and money. Um, learn the lessons. And when the next opportunity comes up a little bit, bring those lessons, but also start from scratch a little bit. Because the context has changed. So we kind of diverted a little bit. <laughs> so when thinking about your business, do you practice what you preach? Have you got a flexible work uh, workforce? And how do you build a culture where this, 
I'm being a little bit flippant, but if you've got a revolving chair all the time. Absolutely. So I think I think I, I love that question because it's it's kind of um, it's, it's it's an important reminder for every entrepreneur and leader of any business to always make sure that the values they preach to their clients and the market are the values they live with themselves. Um, now, as a, as a business, we we obviously passionate about delivering flexible working to healthcare employers. Um, what's interesting is, as a team of thirty six people today. I think five of us at least are clinicians by background. So doctors, nurses, midwives, um, pharmacists, and every single one of us remain clinically active flexibly. Um, so that means we, we work shifts in hospitals and clinics when we can and when we want, while still being a full-time employee at Patchwork. So, so that meant that many of our we, you know, many of our users are people we employ as well. The kind of people who want to lead a portfolio career in healthcare, whilst, um, you know, so, so having, having clinical engagement whilst also pursuing their passion, in this case, working in a tech company. Um, but for the rest of the business, for all 36 of us, we are, we adopt a very flexible working environment. So, and for us, flexibility is not just flexibility in time, but it's flexibility in place. So we've got team members who love starting really early. They start at 6, 7 a.m., but they clock off at 3 p.m. We have others who probably won't start until midday, but are night owls who work quite late into the evening. Um, we've got people working from home. We've got team members who are all over the country um, working from hot desks in different cities or from their own home. And um, we've got uh, uh, staff around the world um, who are not even in the UK, um, who used to be in the UK but moved, but retained their jobs. They were all hired while they were in the UK, but they've changed their location, circumstances meant they need to be in Argentina or Australia, but we carried on employing them flexibly. And uh, we have part-time employees who work flexibly because they've got family commitments um, and childcare commitments, and they choose their own hours at whatever time of the day. Um, and collectively, we are very much so output-driven. So there isn't hours of the day. I don't care if you work 40 hours a week or 38 or 50 or 25, uh, so long that the output that we're all expecting from each other, that we hold each other accountable to, is delivered how, when, where, and how long it takes you and which hours you work is really not the issue. Um, and therefore, when, when COVID-19 um, hit, we, we did not have to adjust much as a business. The only adjustment we had to make is how we interact with our clients because we used to go to hospitals a lot to, to engage with our clients, implement our solutions. So we had to start introducing remote implementation and remote client work with our NHS partners. That's the only change that we had to adopt. Whereas internally as a team, it was business as usual. We were always flexible, we were always comfortable with remote working and, and, and we're very supportive. And I'm personally very supportive of every single one of my team members who is also a clinician by background um, to pursue their clinical work as well and not to give that up just because they chose a career in patchwork health. Okay, I love that. Where can people find you if they want to know more about Patchwork Health? So um, they can reach out to our website, um, www.patchwork.health. Uh, not a very common domain name, uh, <laughs> but we like to be different. 
Um, they could also reach out to me by email at hello at patchwork.health. Um, we're on um, uh, LinkedIn, just search Patchwork Health. And we're also on Twitter at Hey Patchwork. Um, why are you called Patchwork Health? Ooh, I love that question as well. So um, when we first started off Patchwork Health, we, we had a different name. Um, it was called Locum Tap. And really, it was very descriptive of what we did, um, help locums book shifts. Uh, but but one of the reasons why we wanted to evolve the name is because we were a lot more than just about locoming, is a lot more about flexible working. And we chose the word patchwork health is for, because we we viewed the workforce um, as a colorful mosaic of individuals with very different stories and um, who've come together to serve the healthcare service and serve the NHS. Um, so we have your uh, technology entrepreneurs who want to book shifts. You've got your dads who want to stay at home with their kids and want to work flexibly. We had um, uh, musicians and artists. We had athletes who wanted to compete for the Olympics and train for that while still working A and E. Um, we, you know, world travelers, humanitarians, um, whatever it is they wanted to do, they still wanted to remain a doctor, a nurse, a pharmacist, a physiotherapist, whilst pursuing their three-dimensional aspects of their personality. We found the term patchwork um, kind of indicative of this colorful mosaic group of people who are coming together um, to work for the NHS, but also appreciating that whilst they can be part of the same fabric, they are still unique in their own ways. Um, and, and hence why we chose the name. Oh, thank you so much. I love speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tara. I enjoyed this. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and review on our Apple podcast app to help other people find the podcast too. And we'd also love it if you could share this podcast, share it with a friend. Um, again, we'd absolutely love it. And give us a shout out on our social media. You can find us on Twitter. and um, We are at THC Primary Care. And you can also find us on LinkedIn if you search for Tara Humphrey. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast. Mm-hmm.